0: When I was a little boy, I grew up in a little country called Botswana. I spent six and a half years there as a child. My mum and dad were missionaries there. I say they were missionaries. Uh, I think technically we were missionaries as a family, but I had no idea what a missionary was. I was just having fun as a little kid. We did correspondence school, and, which meant you were pretty much done by about midday. So, life was awesome as a little kid. So, yeah, it was a great place to grow up. On occasions, we would go next door to have a holiday in South Africa. But what you may not realise is that between Botswana and South Africa, there's a a small piece of land called Bopatetswana. It was set up when apartheid happened, and it was a little bit of a refuge for people that was exempt from the apartheid system. But what you had to do to get into South Africa was you had to leave Botswana go into Boppa Tetswana, leave Boppa Tetswana and go into South Africa. And um, I can't remember quite, but it's almost like the two borders were visible from each other. I might be wrong with that, but the borders were pretty close. But what I do remember as a kid is how long it took. Because to leave Botswana, you had to fill out the paperwork to leave Botswana. To enter Boppa Tetswana, you had to fill out the paperwork for Tetsuana. To leave Botswana, you had to fill out the paperwork and then you had to end up the paperwork for South Africa. Now, we didn't start as a family of six, but by the time we left Botswana, we had a family of six, which means six forms each time. My math says 24 forms that my parents had to fill in and process. And I remember them in the end getting a bit smart and grabbing a wad of these things and sitting on the dining room table, filling them out the day before, just one at a time so that they could have them all ready to go. It was, a, it was a really painful process as a little kid. I didn't have to fill out the forms, but I did have to sit at the border waiting for them to go through this process. People really care about borders. People take borders very seriously. Did you know the border for Australia, because we're an island, is 12 nautical miles offshore? There's an imaginary line there that's a border because it's important. We know a little bit more about borders more recently because of COVID restrictions, where you're allowed to go, what's the rules on the other side of the border and what's the rules on this side? we like, we've actually cared more. Traditionally, state borders haven't meant a lot. But in recent years, borders even mean something to us, which is really interesting Who's within the borders is important. What the governing rules within those borders is important. And who has the authority to make the rules is also important. It's interesting because the way we think about countries and borders gives us a good reason to be really confused about what Jesus did. John the Baptist says in Matthew 3, uh, it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And just in the next chapter, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, one thing just to, just to be aware of, uh, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is the same thing. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience and uh, using the word God, Yahweh was, was something that they honoured. And so they didn't use that word. So he used the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, instead of the kingdom of God, to be respectful. But it is the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a really big claim they're making. Like, you can remember back to when we were hearing on the news that that Russia was amassing an army on the Ukrainian border. For about a week, the news every day was saying, there's an army amassing on the border of the Ukraine. And you go, well, that's pretty serious. Something's coming. Something's happening. This is bigger news than that. This is a big claim. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's it's upon us. It's at our doorstep. Where's the army? Where's the territory that this kingdom's overtaking? Who's this kingdom's ruler? Where's their, their palace? Where's their royal garb? There's no answers to these questions for the people that were listening to John the Baptist. There wasn't even any real answers for for those that were listening to Jesus for some of those questions. It's understandable why it's confusing when we think about our idea of borders and countries. Now, obviously, Jesus couldn't be the king, he doesn't even have a home. And it looks like he's wearing the same sandals that he's been wearing for a while. He's not king material. Because the kingdom of God is very different to our understanding of kingdoms. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to start from a place of confusion. Because in many ways, it's the opposite to what we're familiar with. In many ways, it's like everything that we expected about a kingdom has been flipped on its head. Now, I want to be careful it's not all opposites. There's some things that are the same as worldly kingdoms. And Jesus taught these things repeatedly. So there were no geographical borders to this kingdom, but there absolutely is clearly defined borders. Jesus clearly defines borders to the kingdom in Scripture. There are no pompous royal clothing or palaces, but there is definitely a ruler of this kingdom. And Mick preached a couple of weeks ago on the servant king. There is no confusion that there is a ruler in this kingdom. And there are no jails or courtrooms yet. There is judgment coming. But there is definitely a standard for how to live in this kingdom. These three things are very familiar to us. There are boundaries, there is a ruler, and there are ways to live in this kingdom. See, we have the benefit of hindsight. When we hear John the Baptist's message and Jesus' message, It is actually still just as relevant today. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. The message hasn't changed. The significance and the importance of that message hasn't changed. Repent. Turn from your own ideas and towards kingdom ideas. Repent. Turn away from your own ways and towards kingdom ways. Turn away from your own importance and surrender to King Jesus. The message of repent for the kingdom is near is absolutely an important message for today. I want to look at three kingdom principles today that really mess with our human expectations. Three things that we need to change in our worldly thinking and to to repent, to turn around from the way we do things, to live Kingdom ways. Now, I didn't actually come up with these three things. They're three things I stole from a brilliant sermon preached at Catalyst in 2014 by Mark Wilson. So they're they're three ideas that are fantastic ideas, and he didn't come up with them either. They're in Scripture, but I just want to give credit where it's due. So three ideas that mess with the way that we think things should be, and Jesus directly challenged the way we, we think things should be. The first one is to become a leader, be a servant. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus always reframed success in terms of servanthood. He modeled this beautifully. But servanthood is looked down upon as being lowly or below us or something that you endure and put up with because you have to, not something that you aspire to because it's the best. It's fascinating watching little children avoid the words, please and thank you. And they squirm because there's an element of surrender in it. There's an element of letting go of that, I'm in control, I'm the boss, there's this sort of, I've got to beg for it, I don't want to do that. And I can tell you as adults, we're a bit smart about how we communicate it and we put a brave face on, but a lot of the time we're the same. We're like, really? That doesn't sound like fun. I I really don't want to do that. I don't want to keep doing it. A lot of our hierarchies are set up to elevate people to places that aren't servants. We have hierarchies that say, I'm too important to do that anymore. I was reminded, and it was completely unrelated, I was talking to John and you can hold me accountable to this, because I heard of a, a large church where someone said, I, I have no idea anything about the senior pastor. I don't know anything about him. And I was like, that's really sad. I reckon if I was in a big church, or even in a small church, but if I was in a big church, I'd love to be able to visit every single small group every single ministry. I wouldn't be able to get to them every week, but just to connect on the ground with people in their place, to be relational with people, to value them. And I remember a pastor that was a pastor of a big church saying one of his highlight memories of retired now. He remembers one particular circumstance where everyone had left at the end of the workday. And as he was walking out, he saw the light of the toilet on. And so he opened the toilet door to turn it off And it was a mess. The whole bathroom was just a mess. And so he went in and he cleaned up the bathroom. And he was like, this is what I'm made for. This is the top of the pile. I get to bless people who walk in tomorrow morning to a really nice, clean bathroom. I get to bless somebody who left stressed, who knows why, in this state. That they didn't have to do something that they probably should have. But I get to do it for them. And he's like, that was one of the highlights of, I don't know, 30 years in ministry. And you go, wow, that's a different way of thinking. Because his heart is if you want to be great in the kingdom, you be a servant, you be a slave, you serve. If you have any sense of hierarchy in your environment, take Jesus' posture and be more concerned about the plight of those at the bottom. When you spot hierarchy, It's the way the world works. Don't play. Look at the hierarchy and say, that's who I'm going to connect with. Who in the room isn't in a conversation who's looking a little lonely? Who isn't connected? There's an amazing conversation going over there, having a laugh and a ball. I'd love to join that. That looks like fun. But who in the room is doing it tough? That's where I want to be. Often titles are harmful in the kingdom of God. I cringe at the idea and please If there's any reverends in the room, I'm really sorry, but I cringe at the idea of the title of reverend. To be revered. To be revered is to to be put on a pedestal and to be elevated above everybody else. Now, we respect leaders, and that's important. Please hear me here. But to be revered is not a kingdom title. It's just not. We must resist the temptation to compare ourselves to others and reduce success to performance, position, or power. That's the world's way of playing. That is not how Jesus functioned. Just think about that. Performance, position, and power. Jesus really messed with all of those as he modelled it. And we live in obedience to God. It doesn't matter how big our platform is. What was important to Jesus is he modelled posture over position. The posture of your heart, where is it coming from? What motivates you? The position does not matter. And he modeled inclusion over exclusion. Think about all the people that Jesus got in trouble for getting close to. The kids were told to go away. He said, No, let them come to me. The lepers, the sick people were told to go away. He said, No, I'm going to touch them. The sinners and the tax collectors. Were too offensive to hang out with. He said, I'm going to eat with them. Women, he hung out with women. At their time, that was offensive. He modeled inclusion over exclusion. Because if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you're a servant. Second one, to get back at your enemies, love them. This is what it says in Matthew. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. When I've heard people speak on these verses, They try to weasel around some of the things that Jesus said. I think he's actually pretty clear. I don't think there's much confusion. There's cultural references in there, but he is flipping the picture upside down. If you find this confronting, it is confronting. It's the opposite to what our world says to do. Yes, it was meant to be that way. We're not trying to blend the two together and go, how do I be selfish and look like I'm being good? How do I love, but only a little bit? He's deliberately confronting us here. He's deliberately challenging us. And it's real. He lived it. He did this. For me, and I've said this many times, to be able to be nailed to a cross, to look down at soldiers mocking him and say, forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. Like, I'm trying to live kingdom ways, but... That's that's pushing it. That's extreme. And yet that is how far he went to model this for us. He talked the talk and he walked the walk. And this is what the upside down kingdom looks like. There is no watering down, there is no weaseling our way out. This is the kingdom of God. Forgiveness lies at the very heart of God's kingdom. Matthew 18 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sinned against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. God has forgiven us. We must forgive others. And to make this even a little bit more confronting, this posture of forgiving proves our acceptance of Jesus' forgiveness. The posture of forgiving others proves that we have been forgiven. Now, if you think about that for a second, that's actually a little bit hard to take. If you value what it means to be forgiven, you will absolutely forgive. If you don't value it, you won't understand what it is you need to do. Our posture of forgiveness to others proves that we understand and accept what Jesus has done for us. Grudges, bitterness, animosity, resentment, they do not belong in the kingdom. They do not belong in the kingdom. The third one, to become rich, give everything away. Matthew 6 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we pursue material gain, when we pursue a life, I would say building our own kingdoms, (laughs) when we're building our own kingdoms, we're not actually in alignment with the kingdom that we say we're serving. When you realize it, you're actually... In conflict, and it helps understand the upside down nature of this. Because when I p- pursue satisfaction in possessions, in, in whatnot, I'm actually, in some ways, it's quite easy to, to end up in a place where I don't need satisfaction in God. When I pursue relationships that aren't costly or hard, when I'm pursuing relationships for my own satisfaction, I'm actually saying that God's not enough in the relationship that I have with him. There's this conflict that we're actually choosing to invest in. We're choosing to invest in the way the world has as a pretty poor image of what it looks like to to build my own kingdom. And people have been doing this for centuries. People have been building their kingdoms for centuries. And you hear story after story of, rich people who have poured their finances into their kingdom and yet they'll tell you that they're not any happier. It doesn't work. And yet we keep trying. We keep trying. We keep getting deceived into thinking that, that if, we, if we keep investing in these things, we'll get a different outcome. And yet the only way that it works is the way that Jesus modeled and taught, and that is eternal treasure is the only place the kingdom way of living, the upside-down way of living, is the only way to do this well. The love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus talked a lot about greed and our heart attitude towards materialism. In Acts 20:35, this isn't Jesus. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. "It is more blessed to give." Than to receive. Those who've been around church for a while will have heard that phrase, "Is more blessed to give than to, to receive. But I've got to say for myself, that is still hard to swallow because I like receiving. I, I do like material things. I enjoy food and having fun and doing things for me. There's a short term satisfaction in it. I put my hand up and say, that's a challenge. This verse. It's very easy to say, but it is still upside down from some of the things that I, I live. To become a leader, leader, be a servant. To get back at your enemies, love them. To Become rich, give everything away. Easy to say, challenging to walk out. I was reminded this morning of how we deal with borders. Some of you are too young to know this, but there was once upon a time that there was no pokies in Victoria. They were banned. They were illegal. But they weren't illegal in New South Wales. And so busloads of people would go up for the weekend to New South Wales, spend their money on the pokies, and then come back. I was too young, and that's not my world. However, there was something else that was different about New South Wales to Victoria. Paintball. Paintball was illegal in Victoria, but it was legal in New South Wales. And so there were some border towns on the New South Wales side that would run paintball. Now, I never actually went, but I did aspire to. I had friends that, that had weekend trips to over the border to go paintballing. Now, I've done it since. It hurts. It's not as exciting as it sounded. My point is, when we look at these things, we can sometimes treat it like we do the po- pokies and paintball. We can sometimes say, I'm happy in my space. But you know what, for the weekend, let's do the kingdom of God stuff. Let's go for the weekend and, and, and start to think about, you know, I'll be a servant for the weekend. I'll, I'll love someone for the weekend. I'm going to give something away this weekend. And then for the next season, I go back to how I like it. I'm going to share more about this next week, but I really want to challenge you that the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. It doesn't have geographical boundaries like Victoria and New South Wales. But when you commit to be a child of God, when you commit and say, Jesus, you are not just my saviour, but my Lord, the Lord is the one who instructs you, who you come under the leadership of, who you follow. And if that's the case, you don't just do it occasionally. We have a massive cultural problem. We live life like it's a smorgasbord. This is very real and very tangible, and I see it every day. Our culture says pick and choose what you like. Pick and choose what suits you. Pick and choose what is convenient. And sadly, I have to say, as Christians, we have adopted that. In a lot of ways, we pick and choose what we want. Jesus doesn't run a democracy where we vote on what we like. And as long as we all agree, we do it. It's a theocracy. Theo meaning God. God is the ruler. There is only one way of doing things in God's kingdom, and that is God's way. What that means is what Jesus says goes, whether we like it or not. Now, the hilarious thing, and I had this conversation with a um, 10-year-old, I'm guessing he was, a couple of weekends ago. And I said, the amazing thing is when you're Doing things God-way, God knows best, and so you're doing the best thing. And yet we still don't do it. We have this weird dynamic of, of going, I know God is perfect. I know his ways are perfect. Everything he does is good. He's loving. And yet I look at this and I go, maybe on the weekend, maybe a couple of times a year, maybe to just make me feel like I'm doing okay. The kingdom of God is confronting, it's challenging, it's okay to be confused because it's not normal, it's not common to our world. If you're confused, that's okay, it's different, it's confusing because it's not how we operate. But I'd really encourage you not to stay there because God's ways are good, are right, are the best thing for us. And as much as it's confronting and confusing, It's worth fighting for. It's worth changing your life for. And it's worth wrestling so that these things become your culture, not something that you do occasionally. And that's something that we as a body can do together. That's something that we as a community can champion. What does it mean to lead, to serve? When I'm struggling in relationships, what's my posture to love? When I'm wondering what to do next, give. How can I, like, what do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to, there's a phrase that Tanya's mum loves. Jesus went around doing good. It's like, it's almost like a generic starting point. If you you want to know what to do, be generous. Be generous. You can't go wrong. And yes, it costs. But I can testify to say, it works. Jesus was right. (laughs) Who would have thought? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much that you have been very clear on these things. I want to thank you that you consistently and very articulately communicated and modelled what the kingdom of God looks like. Lord, we rejoice that we're not ignorant, that we're not in the dark, but we have seen the light. We have seen your truth and your ways. And we thank you so much for that, Lord. Lord, I pray for our confusion. I pray for our wrestle with old habits, Lord God. I pray for those places where, where we haven't got victory yet, Lord. And I thank you for your grace and your power that work hand in hand. Lord God, that your mercy is in you every morning, and yet you empower us to walk in the freedom that you have offered. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit that is present here today, challenging us, inspiring us, spurring us on to live your kingdom ways. We pray Lord for this community and for each of the communities that we impact Lord God. We pray that we would be testimonies Lord God. That we would too would be witnesses both word, heart and action Lord God of what it means to be people of the kingdom of God, to be children of a loving heavenly father. I pray Lord today as we leave that you will remind us this week. I pray you would remind us of the things that you want to turn upside down in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would not forget, but we would be inspired to live the way you speak and call and instruct and guide us to, Lord. We do call you Lord and Saviour, and we thank you for that. We thank you that your ways are good, and we surrender again and say your will, not ours.